0: Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. All right, how many of you are ready for the Word of God? Amen, amen. Well, I'm excited about this series that we're in. I don't know about you, but this has been a fun journey going through the book of Romans, finding out what Paul has to say, not only to the church in Rome, but also to our lives today, of taking the word of God, which was written over 2,000 years ago, and applying it to our lives in 2021, and saying, Lord, what does this look like? Lord, how do I apply this? And Lord, how, how does this help me to move forward in my faith with you? And in this series that we're simply calling Breakthrough, Live by Faith, Advance with Grace, through this series, we've discovered a lot about ourselves. Would you admit you've you've learned a lot about yourself in this series? Right out of the gate, right off the bat, Paul is saying, listen, I know you like to do this by yourself. I know that you think you have all of the answers. I know you think you know the best route, but truth be told, you don't. He says you need somebody to step in on your behalf because in your own attempt, in your own efforts, in your own way, you're gonna find yourself spiraling downward at a rapid pace. Why? Because sometimes we just don't make smart choices. Anybody else like that? A few of you in the house, come on now. We, we just don't always make, I see some teenagers admitting this. Wow, praise God. This is a breakthrough moment this morning. Our teenagers are admitting, come on, thank you, Jesus. Let's just take a moment. No. But when we realize that we can't do it by ourselves, man, that's half the battle right there. Admitting that, that I don't have all the answers, that I'm not strong enough on my own, that I don't have the greatest willpower by myself, I can't do this. But we've come to find out that our answer, our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross of Calvary for us. Jesus has given us a way out. He has made a way available for us, a life of forgiveness, a life void of condemnation, but a life that's full and overflowing with grace and mercy. I don't know about you. I believe that's great news. That's not just okay news. That's great news. But the question that I've got to ask you this morning is this. Are you grafted in? Are you grafted in? Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at Romans chapter 11. And I want to see what what does Paul have to say about being grafted in? Our text is found in verse 17, and here's what he says. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, in other words, the Jewish people, have been broken off. Have you ever gone into your yard, getting ready to mow your yard, and there's some branches that have... Falling off the tree. I've got a, a tree in my backyard that, that loses limbs all the time. I mean, all every, every time I go out to mow, there's more and more little tiny limbs that have fallen off this tree. That's kind of what he's saying here. There's, there's limbs that are falling off this tree of Abraham. But he says, and you Gentiles, that's us, any of us that aren't Jews, you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree. Come on, anybody ever used to be a wild olive tree? <laughs> I had some whoops in the house today. Some of you were like woo girls. woo yeah. Yeah, we were wild olive trees. And here Paul says, some of you who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. Now in our minds... In our human standards, we look at that and we're like, how can a a wild olive tree be grafted in to the goodness of God? Well, in our own ability, it can't. That's not possible. But by the grace of God. God takes us from where we used to be, this wild olive branch, and he transfers us and grafts us in to the goodness of god he says so now you are also you also receive the blessing god had promised abraham and his children sharing in the rich nourishment from the roots of god's special olive tree oh come on look at that we, we are moved from wild olive tree to receiving the blessing from God's special olive tree. I mean, the special things are the things that, that you don't touch except on the certain occurrences, or certain occasions. kind of like that, those dishes you have in your house that you aren't allowed to use at all. And I'm not talking about the, the plastic wear or that fine chinette. I'm talking about the good stuff that goes on the top shelf. We don't have that quite as much. My grandma's generation, she had the good stuff on the top shelf. And when it was a special occasion, grandma pulled out that good stuff. That's what God's grafting us into. It's not the cheap Dollar Tree stuff, but it's the good stuff the blessings of god's special olive trees and i I looked at this verse and as i was processing through romans chapter 11 and i began to read it and reread it and process it and say lord what does this look like in our lives today suddenly i was filled with this sense of hope why because even though i was once a wild olive shoots the grace of god is greater let me say that again even though you were once a wild olive shoot the grace of god is better god loves you so much god loves me so much that he willfully chose to allow me to be grafted into his family to to make a way for me that wasn't on my own ability, it wasn't on my own strength, it wasn't based on how good I am, but it was on the basis of his love and the price that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary. How do I know that? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That That's you. You could could put your name there, and many of us have heard pastors say that for years, all oh, place your name in John 3, 16. It's applicable to you. But it's true. God so loved Chris. They sent Jesus to die on the cross. That if I will just choose to believe in him, that he'll graft me in to his family. And that's what we're looking at today. I read this and I reread this, chapter 11, and there was one section, in fact, one and a half verses that stuck out to me that I just could not get past. I pulled out the commentaries, and I began to read what commentaries were writing about this, and and what I found out is the commentaries, the theologians, they didn't stick to this one and a half verse, they looked at the rest of the chapter. But God said, no, 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 no. You've gotta look at this one and a half verses. We gotta process through that, why? We gotta hang out there, why? Because I believe that there are those of you that are here today, you've been grafted in to god's family but for some reason or another listen carefully you feel all alone you feel that nobody sees you you feel that nobody hears you you feel as if there's no one else in around you you are not alone. I want you to grab a hold of that this morning. The good news is you are not alone. You are not by yourself. And as I read chapter 11, that's what stuck out to me the most. God said there are gonna be people in the house, there are gonna be people watching online that they feel isolated, they feel all alone. But He wants you to know today that you are not alone. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter what you face, no matter what things may look like, you've been grafted into the family of God. Your strength doesn't come from yourself, but it comes from a source that is so much greater than you. It comes from the special olive tree. It comes from the one that loves you unconditionally. You've been grafted into this family. You are not alone. You see, when you're grafted into this tree, this special olive tree, in other words, you're grafted into God, we are taken from hopeless to hopeful. We are taken from death to life, we're taken from loneliness to community. And by the way, you weren't designed to live in loneliness. You weren't designed to live by yourself. You weren't designed to function in life all alone. In fact, the very beginning of time when when God created Adam, he looked at Adam and everything else was good, but he looked at Adam and said, this is not good. Man shouldn't be alone. He realized that we needed community and the community that he's given us as believers those of us grafted into the family of God the community that he's given us is his church whether you believe this or not you need one another let me speak to those that are watching online man I love online option I love it. I love it because it reaches a moment and a situation. If you're homesick and you can't get out, it gives you an opportunity to virtually be together. But can I just tell you, it doesn't fulfill. You need this. You need this community. Yeah. You need to, to rub shoulders with one another. You need to see eyeball to eyeball. We need one another. I want to look at a section of Romans chapter 11 where Paul settles in for a verse and a half beginning to make a reference to the prophet Elijah. Now the section of scripture that he's referencing is taken from 1 Kings chapter 18 and also in verse or chapter 19. But here's what he says in Romans 11, latter portion of 2 into 3. He says, Elijah the prophet complained. Come on, anybody else in the house ever complain? Some of you are complaining right now about something. (laughs) The prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah felt all alone, isolated, no one else around. And I began to look at this scripture, and I realized that's where we are in 2021. We are the most connected, disconnected culture of all times. We can reach people, we can talk to people. I've got friends on social media that live on the other side of the world, that live on the other side of the states, that live on the other side of Missouri, that in an instant I can connect to, but I haven't talked to them personally, I haven't connected with them personally, I haven't rubbed shoulders with them personally in many, 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 many years. We're the most connected, disconnected people of all. So I began to look at Elijah's situation, I realize there's so much that we can learn this morning from his life. So I'm going to give you four truths that are seen through Elijah. Four things that we can grab a hold of, and I believe that if we'll take them to heart, that will help us as we're grafted in to this family. I encourage you to take really good notes today. Truth number one is this. There may be moments of loneliness, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it and say, life is always going to be great. You're always going to feel like everybody loves you, nobody hates you. Everything is going to be glorious 24-7. That's a lie from the pit. Because there's no truth in that. There are going to be moments in life that you're like, I am all alone, no one is around, and everyone wants to kill me. That's what Elijah was saying. If we go back to 1 Kings chapter 18 and, and 19, we see two different moments in two different chapters when the prophet Elijah felt isolated, he felt all alone. Now, the interesting thing is both times when he felt isolated and alone, his response to that, his approach to that and follow through with that were completely different. The first time is in chapter 18. He's talking to King Ahab, and he says, man, I'm the only one left, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what he did. And then in chapter 19, we see him running from Jezebel, and he feels all alone. Yet, again, his approach to these two situations were completely different. Let me give you just a couple of verses from each one, and then we're going to kind of break them apart just a little bit. Chapter 18 says, Then Elijah, this is when he's talking to King Ahab, it says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who has left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar without setting fire to it. I will prepare another bull and lay it on the wood of the altar but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, lowercase g, in other words, a false god. Call on the name of your God and I will call upon the name of of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. Now, this is the first moment when Elijah felt all alone. Here he is all alone. He faces the 450 prophets of Baal, plus there are 400 other false prophets, a total of 850 false prophets. Yet Elijah is all by himself. He's all alone, but this moment he chooses to stand up against him and say, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to finalize this right now. We're going to come head to head in this moment. We're going to find out who the true God is, who the one true God is. I want you to make an altar. I'm going to make an altar. We're going to see who responds. And the second time was shortly after this. when Ahab got home and we'll read this in a moment talk about it he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah may the god may yes may the gods false gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow i have not killed you talking about Elijah as you killed them Elijah was afraid now hold on didn't he just stand up against 850 false prophets didn't god just pour fire from heaven by the way you don't know that yet because we haven't talked about it but he did yet suddenly he gets word that this woman is upset with him that was a guy i kind of understand that but that's a whole nother story for another time <laughs> elijah was afraid and fled for his life He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone. There he is. He went on alone to the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. All alone. There are going to be moments in your life when you feel isolated. There are going to be moments in your life when you feel like nobody is there. But you have a choice of how you're going to respond in that moment. See, the first thing I want to look at, two things to consider. One is, what do I do when I feel alone? what do i do when i when i feel alone well again you have many options you can press in to that isolation you can lean in to the loneliness or you can connect to the family that you've been grafted into come on look at this you can embrace the loneliness the isolation You can separate yourself from the few people perhaps that are around you. You push them aside. You can go under that lonely broom tree by yourself and pray to God, I just want to die. Or you can reach out to that special olive tree that you've been grafted into. You can connect to the family of God. And let me be honest, even though reaching out to the family of God is the best choice, sometimes it can be a bit scary. Why? Because it leaves us at a very, very vulnerable place. What will people think about what I'm going through? How are are people gonna respond to what I'm experiencing right now? Will they even accept me after I share with them my deepest, innermost hurts and thoughts? Let me be honest, yes, these are legitimate questions. But truth be told, if they are really the family of God, they'll respond how Jesus would respond and they'll be the family that he's called them to be. After all, we're grafted into this special olive tree, this family of God. The second question is, what does it mean to be grafted into God's family? Well, for this, we've got to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. He's talking about the church or the family of God, and he says this, if one member suffers... All suffer together. Come on. If one member suffers, it doesn't say if the majority suffer or if a a large group suffers. But looking at this room today, he says if if just one, if just one of you are suffering, then we all suffer. If one of you is honored, if one member is honored, we rejoice together. Church, let me say this, listen very carefully. It's time for the church to stop shooting its wounded. Oh, come on, come on. For too many years, the corporate church, we have somebody that's hurting, we got somebody that makes a mistake, what do we do? Rather than reaching out and embracing them and saying, come on, let's journey through this together. Let's walk through this together. What do we do? We shoot our wounded. We kick them out the door. But that's not what we're called to do. The Bible says if one of us are suffering, we all suffer. We go through this journey together. Why? Because we're grafted into the same tree into the same family. If you have a tree at your house and one branch is wounded, man, you're gonna do what you can to nourish that so that tree continues to function and continues to grow, yes? It's time for the church to begin to rally around the wounded to help them to mend, to move through life together. That's what it means to be a real family. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, which we'll get into next week, he says that we are one body We function together as many parts, working together. And by the way, every part of that family is important. Yeah? Your little toe, it's important. You don't believe me, turn your lights out tonight and begin to walk through the house and see if you can find something with that little toe. You're going to find the (laughs) bedpost. And then tomorrow, you're going to be like, ow, every step you take. Every portion of the body is vitally important. We need one another. We are not meant to function alone, nor are we grafted into the family because of our own work, our own goodness. We need God. We need one another, no exception. If you're feeling alone today, if you're feeling all by yourself and you find yourself like Elijah under that single solitary broom tree, Man, don't stay isolated at that moment more than ever before you need to rally around or rally yourself with other believers well they need to just reach out to me they may not know because when we come in here what do we do all glory to God God is good but on the inside we're breaking apart we're hurting on the inside it's time to be vulnerable, it's time to open up, it's time to, to reach out to the rest of the body of Christ to, to work together. Romans chapter 11 verse six says this, and since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by our, their works, for in that case God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. We need the grace of God. We need to accept it, we need to receive it, because it's readily available, provided through that special olive tree of God. Truth number two is this. There'll be moments of victory. Yeah, there are gonna be moments of loneliness. There's gonna be moments when I feel all alone. There's gonna be moments when things hurt. There's gonna be moments when that person that I thought that I could trust in, that I thought that I could rely in, and they turn their back on me, and that hurts. But there's also gonna be moments of victory. If we go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, we see what I believe is one of the greatest victories for the kingdom of God. Elijah calls out a challenge to the false prophets, 850 of them. He says, we're gonna build an altar, you're gonna build one, I'm gonna build one, we're gonna place a sacrifice on it, then we're gonna call out to our God and the God that responds with fire, we will declare that moment, at that time, in that instant, that they are the one true God. Can I just tell you? that takes a lot of faith. Right? I mean, that's a lot of pressure. But let me read the account to you. It's a lot of scripture, but you've got to hear the whole story. Begin in 1 Kings 18, verse 25, it says, Then Elijah said to the prophet of Baal, You go first. Come on, listen carefully to what he does. It's, it's awesome. For there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called out to the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, hobbling around the altar that they made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Hmm, that's daring. Because Elijah hadn't gone yet. He hadn't had a victory yet. He begins mocking them. Oh, you'll have to shout a little louder. For surely he is a god, and I'm I'm just reading the Bible here. I'm not making this up. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. It's there, or maybe he is away on a trip, or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and followed the normal customs. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him. And as he prepared the altar of the Lord that had been torn down, he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar. Why did he dig a trench? Hang tight. I'll get to that. It was large enough to hold three gallons. The pile of wood on the altar cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars of water and pour the water over the altar and the wood. Whoop! back up. What? I'm not the sharpest tack in the, in the bunch here, but if I'm building a fire for the fire pit, I'm not going to take water and dump water on this thing. Right? Fill four large jars of water and pour the water over the altar. After they had done this, he said, do it again. <laughs> and when they were finished, now do it a third time. So they did what he said, and the water ran over the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for the offering and the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked over the altar and prayed, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that what I have done is at your command. Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you are the Lord and that God, you are the Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, immediately, fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw They fell face down on the ground and cried, The Lord, He is God. Yes, He is God. To move from loneliness to victory in the family of God, there have to be moments of stepping out in faith. Moments of saying, God, this doesn't make sense. I can imagine Elijah might have had a couple of those moments. It doesn't show that here. I'm going to kind of read into his person a little bit. If I was Elijah in that moment, I'd be standing here and God says, dig a trench around the altar. I'd be like, what? Okay. Have him fill up the jars of water. Are you serious? This doesn't make a bit of sense, but, but Elijah had to put his faith into that special olive tree, even into that blessing that God had made available. He had to trust in God. Moments of saying, Lord, I don't understand this, but Lord, I will trust you despite the storm. Lord, I will trust you despite the opposition. Lord, I'll, I'll trust you despite the loneliness. God, I will trust you despite the bad news. God, I'm going to trust you regardless of what I face. There was a movie that came out several years ago called Facing the Giants. Some of you may remember it, but the point of the movie that I remember is when Brooke, the wife, her and her husband were struggling to have kids and she had been to the doctor and they were processing whether they were able to have kids or not. And, And she made this statement and it's rung true in my heart. She said, I will still love you. I will still love you. In other words, it doesn't matter, whatever happens, either way, No matter what I face in this situation, no matter what I go through, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of the storm. God, I'm going to cling to that special olive tree. Lord, I'm going to hold on tightly to that family that you've grafted me into. Lord, I'm placing myself not in the midst of destruction, not in the midst of loneliness, Lord, but I'm grafting in and holding tightly to who you are and moving forward in victory. Truth be told, God never promised to remove us from the storm, but he promised to go with us through the storm. Sometimes we get in the middle of a situation. We're like, Lord, just take me out of this. Right? Yeah. I can imagine the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and some of you know the story. They, they were told with the whole rest of the nation to bow down to this statue, and they said, no, 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 we can't do that. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. We would be reading along, and we'd go, what? Why didn't God deliver them in the moment? Well, really, he did. He went with them through the fire. They came out, the victors, on the other side. See, God doesn't promise to remove you from the situation, but he promises to be with you in and through that situation. Romans chapter 11 says this, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Look at our third truth. There'll be moments of perceived threat or defeat. There'll be moments of perceived defeats. Now notice here, I said perceived. There's a huge difference between defeat and perceived defeat. We see Elijah in chapter 19, he's had a humongous shift from chapter 18. 18, here he is in his victorious moment. Everything is going great. Fire flashes down from heaven. Everyone bows down to God, Jehovah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The the false prophets are are captured and are killed and they're gone and suddenly everybody's like, God, he is the one true God. Great moment in the now. Elijah hears news that mama ain't happy. Jezebel ain't happy. The king's wife ain't happy. In fact, what she says is, may the gods kill me if by this time tomorrow I haven't killed Elijah. A perceived threat. The word perceived by definition is this, something that is thought of as being a threat something that is thoughts. Have you know, sometimes your thoughts can defeat you. Sometimes your thoughts can push aside the victory. Sometimes we allow our thoughts to stir and to turn and and move us in direction. God never called us and intended for us to move in. The problem with the perceived threat is that it may not actually be a threat at all but we've allowed it to grow into something easily done. The situation becomes fairly big. I'll be, be honest, if somebody said, hey, we just got a letter, just came in the mail today, and so and so said that, that if you're not dead tomorrow that they pray that their gods will, will kill them, I'd be like, safety team, help. Right? A perceived threat. It's easy to do because in that moment, it seems bigger than life and suddenly, we get our focus off of the answer and onto the situation. And we miss the opportunity that God's laid before us. I love what God says to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse nine. Some of you need to let this sink in this morning. It says, this is my command. Come on, look at your neighbor this morning and say, it's a command. (laughs) Difference between a command and a suggestion, right? Parents, if you can make a suggestion to your kids, or you can say, no, 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 this is what you're going to do. You're going to wear the Mario Kart shirt. (laughs) And you're not. (laughs) Sorry, a little inside joke. I probably shouldn't have given an inside joke from the platform, but I did. (laughs) this is my command be strong and courageous do not be afraid or discouraged for the lord your god is with you wherever you go how do we know that the lord our god is with us wherever we go because we've been grafted into his blessings and if you're grafted into wherever the tree goes you go right look at this even though it may be perceived as we're all alone even though it may seem like and feel like everyone has deserted us sometimes by our own actions come on the first time yeah elijah was by himself the second time the bible says he left his servants behind he isolated himself come on It may be perceived as we're all alone, but we're not. Even though it may seem like we're in a hopeless situation, we're not, because everywhere we go, every step that we take, every move that we make, we are grafted into that tree, the blessing of God Almighty. Deuteronomy 31 says this, do not be afraid or discouraged. Come on, does that sound familiar? I hope so. We just read it. For the Lord will personally, oh, look at that, the creator of the world, the one that loves you so much that he sent Jesus, will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor will he abandon you. You see, God did not leave Elijah. When Elijah was faced by the prophets of Baal, when when Elijah was faced in the situation of calling out to him, God was with him. When Elijah was all alone under that solitary broom tree and he was crying out, just let me die, God was with him. So I want to give you the fourth truth. There will always be God's provision. Every time. It may not show up the way we think it will show up. You see, in Elijah's situation, it didn't necessarily show up the way he thought it was going to. If you, if you go back and you begin to read 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse Nine, the latter half of nine, talks about the Lord speaking to Elijah. Man, Elijah was waiting for this massive outpouring of God's presence, for the the great earthquake, all these things. But the Bible says in all of those, God wasn't there. But it was in that sweet, still voice that God showed up. See, what we receive from God is his provision. Provision is defined as the act or process of supplying or providing something. The second definition is this, something that is done in advance to prepare for something else. See, sometimes we don't see God at work, but he is. We, we can't grab a hold of the fact that God's showing up. Why? Because there's so much noise going on around us. If you go on in 1 Kings, it said, the earth shook, fire was raging, all of these things. And I'm sure Elijah was looking at those and turning here and turning there, and he was seeing all this stuff go on. But it wasn't where God was, but God was working behind the scenes, and God showed up in a still small voice Philippians 419 and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which has been given to us in Christ Jesus so how does God step in as our provision Sometimes he simply, simply steps in in ways that we can't explain and things that we can't comprehend. Sometimes he uses the, the family of God. He uses us. You know, those previous wild olive shoots. He chooses to use us so that we can lift up one another, so we can support one another when the bottom is fallen out exodus 14 says this the lord will fight for you you only have to be silent the lord will fight for you you only have to be silent and i started looking at this scripture and and i thought what's it mean to be silent? this word silent literally means to be speechless to be deaf. But listen, it goes on. To keep quiet. Oh, sometimes that's our problem. Come on, right? We start out quiet, perhaps because we're pouting, but we're quiet. But we, we don't keep quiet. We start making rackets. And then it goes on to say this. To make deaf. So we have speechless, to be deaf, to keep quiet, to make deaf. What a progression that we see here. Sometimes it's it's easy to keep quiet, but there are times that we must make the effort, we must move forward, we must do what we must to be silent before the Lord, trusting in Him throughout the storm. Psalm 4610, most of us know this scripture, be still and know, that I am God. This word is still in this situation. I looked it up because I'm like, okay, let's find out what means the same. This time it means let go. Be still and know that I am God. I, I gotta let go. Some of you, you've been doing all this by yourself. you've been battling through all alone. And God says, just be still. Just be quiet for a moment. Just just let go. I got you. You're grafted in. I know the wind's blowing. I know the earth's shaking around you, but I got you. You're crafted into my family. My special blessing is upon you. Just be still. You're here today. and I say, Pastor, that's, that's where I am. Feel like Elijah under that solitary broom tree. All alone. I want you to know that God sees you today. He sees you in your situation, He sees you in your frustration, He sees you in your hurt, He sees you in your fear. heads with me today.